So unless you've been living under a rock, you are hopefully aware that it's very likely that doctors are going to be going on strike. And we're recording this at the start of February. The ballot isn't closed, but it looks fairly likely that junior doctors are going to go on strike. And if you go on strike, you don't get paid. And the BMA's proposal is, I believe, for a 72-hour walkout. And when I heard that, I thought, okay, that's pretty strong. But I know that lots of junior doctors out there will struggle without 72 hours wages. So, and I know in the last strike in 2016, when I was a junior doctor, you know, that was a factor for me, just being honest. So I thought, what financial tips and tricks can we offer junior doctors who are planning to go on strike to help you build your own strike fund? And to do this, I am joined by a doctor who is also an accountant. And if you're a regular listener, you're thinking, well, that's not unusual. Obviously, Ed, my co-founder, is a doctor and accountant. But today's doctor, who is also an accountant, is not Ed. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Syra Asher to the podcast. Thank you, Tommy. Nowhere nearly as pretty as Ed, but I will try my best. I don't think anyone's ever described Ed as pretty, and you definitely (laughs) have way less grey hair. I mean, so... This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice, and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. It is so good to have you on the podcast, Syra. I want to get into this really important topic, but I know people are going to want to know, you are a doctor, but also an accountant, How did that happen? Tell us a little bit about yourself. So when people find out about that, they initially go straight for the, oh, she's Asian. So it must have been the parents, but no, not at all. So I initially got into medicine when I was 18. But when we moved to this country, we didn't have citizenship. I'm the oldest of my, in my family, first to go to university. So we didn't really understand how the whole recourse to public funds worked. So up until A-level, there didn't seem to be a problem. So we didn't think there'd be any more of a problem at university. And then it was when we got the bill saying, oh, you know, it's um, 30 something grand a year. I was like, oh God, I can't study medicine. So I decided, well, I applied around. I ended up being headhunted by the National Audit Office who invited me to apply. And basically they trained me up from A-level to to become a chartered accountant. I never ended up actually going to university until after I qualified as a chartered accountant. And I kind of felt by the time I'd qualified, I'd had a few years of working under my belt. I kind of felt like, oh, is there something I missed out? Or, you know, I'm still interested in that side of things. I still, you know, really like physiology I really like the subject so you know I'm just going to go back and do a physiology degree we didn't have any major commitments uh, my partner at the time so it kind of felt like a good idea and then as I was doing physiology I also because I couldn't help myself decided to get a job at the local hospital as a phlebotomist because I thought it'd be really nice to learn a couple of clinical skills see what that felt like and engage with patients and you know that side of things and I really enjoyed it and so I thought actually I think I could do medicine. And back then, I think I really romanticised the career. And I didn't really understand fully the challenges that come with it. I mean, everybody knows it's it's a lifelong learning journey and, and all that. But you don't really understand actually what a difficult environment it is to work in until you've done it. And so if anyone back then had told me, and they probably did, I probably just didn't listen. I wouldn't have listened to them. I would have gone, well, they don't know what, you know, I'll just, it won't happen to me. So I did my sign, got into grad med and that was at Warwick and then started working two years ago. I'm in my F2 now. And yeah, it's really hard to explain that I'm proud to be a doctor, 
but I really am struggling with the environment that we're working in and that's where we are. That is an amazing story. I feel like we could do a whole pod on that and I think we (laughs) should but I want to get into this because like I said the last strike in 2016 showing my age here I was a junior doctor and we didn't get paid and you know that is going to be an issue for a lot more junior doctors than some people realize. And that, I mean, that is a reason to go on strike in itself in that if you're a junior doctor, you know, running a hospital and losing 72 hours pay is going to be a big deal for you. But it really is going to be a big deal for more junior doctors than a lot of people care to realize. So I thought, like, let's talk about building a strike fund. So why do we need to get building the strike fund now? So... The earlier you do it, the less pressure is on you. It means that you can do little things that will make a big impact when it comes to it. And, you know, the better prepared you are for anything, the better the outcome will be. The other thought I was worried thing is like, you don't get paid for 72 hours, but how many times have you in the NHS struggled with payroll, getting things right? So you don't only plan for the 72 hours you're not going to be paid. You plan for the mess up that's going to be surrounded by those 72 hours of not being paid. So that's kind of what me and my husband are doing. We're both F2s and we have been building a strike fund since January. That was our plan. He basically says, does what finance things I say. So I said I wouldn't say that, but oh well. So we decided from January, we're going to do these little things to try and make sure that we have both got enough in just available for those three days. And the thing is, based on what's been happening with the nursing strikes and the ambulance strikes, it's really evident that it's not going to be just those three days. It's going to be more than that. So I did a few calculations. So my pay packet for F2 is £16.31 an hour when I'm not on call or weekends. We can assume it's not going to be a weekend because that tends to be a skeleton service anyway. So it's not going to be the most hardest hit. There's probably going to be somewhere midweek probably going to be during the day so you can rule out the 37% uplift that people get for nights in that situation assuming a maximum loss of a 12 hour on call my f2 loss for the 72 hours would be 587 pounds and 16 pence and so i thought okay how much do i have to work to try and get that recoup that i have worked in different departments I get better paid locums now in A&E, but in most departments, the F2 locum rate is about £30. So dividing that by £30 a shift is you'd need to do about 20 hours of locum work to just make up for the 72 hours of what I think is going to be the first portion of the strike. I'm anticipating there will be more. Awesome. So much to get into there. So I did a ton of locums back in the day because, yeah, I'm not going to go over my rags to Rich's story again, but I did a lot. You just said, and I hope this was a mistake, the F2 locum rate is £30 because about 10 years ago for an A&E locum as F2, I was getting anywhere between 50 to 65. I always negotiated. I like to negotiate. You just said you get 30. Yeah. That's phenomenal, the figure you've just quoted me. We get 25 to about 40, if you, 40 if you really push, and they're quite happy to push back. Yeah, uh, we don't get anywhere near... Well, only you brought that up because the BMA have just released a junior doctor rate card of what they think we should be getting. And junior doctors all around have seen it and gone, oh, that's stunning. That is beautiful. It is 
exactly what we think we're worth. And the bosses, hospital bosses have hit back going, that's unaffordable. And it just shows that the what we're worth, when we're not going to get because hospital bosses are already pushing back on locum rates they're not even willing to sort of entertain them yeah i love that rate card and i agree it looks a little ambitious depending on what you just said but it does give people a benchmark that is what you are worth and that is what you should be aiming for so i take your point it looks wildly ambitious given what you just said but i think it's important that you know none of those rates look out, out of the ordinary so yeah someone just quoted me to paint do some painting at my house and they quoted me 25 pounds an hour right i mean that is significantly more than your in-hours rate as an F2 yeah. doctor, literally saving lives around the hospital. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because I yeah, think we all agree that the pay is a problem. Uh, uh, so basically, I love working with accountants. So you're so precise. So you need £587.16 to get back what you're going to lose. Yeah. So how have you been doing it and what can other people do to if, if they're in a similar situation to you? Okay. Prepare for me to marry condo your life. Okay, so we did cute little things. We basically said we're not going to shop at anywhere apart from Aldi as much as we can help it, which I don't know how people feel about that. For us, we didn't really mind. We then got some cookery books, which I'm going to show you. I am getting no money for this. She has no idea I'm doing this. But there is a set called The Roasting Tin by Rukmini Ayer. And she's done a few. So you've got the green roasting tin, which is like a veggie and vegan one. Quick ones you've got around the world. And then you've got ones that like just the original one, which has lots of lovely different ones. And the beauty of these is that you just shove everything in a roasting tin and shove it in the oven. The ingredients aren't special. The ingredients aren't unusual. You don't have to specifically go to Waitrose or Sainsbury's to try and find it. And you can upscale or downscale as much as you like. So you can, I mean... Aldi does quinoa now. So, you know, there's nothing really that you can't get at an affordable price. And the beauty of it is the oven is actually the most expensive way to cook. So you do a big batch in the oven, you freeze it or put it in the fridge, and then the microwave is the cheapest way to cook. So you can reheat it and you can make your batch meal. So it helped us prepare for our lunches. And it had the double effect of us not buying our lunches at hospital, which you did do another episode on, I remember, of how much you can spend at a hospital canteen. 139,000 pounds. <laughs> exactly. So we both, we have lovely, nutritious, healthy, very inexpensive meals, which are delicious the next day that we can microwave. Means we don't buy food at the hospital and spend more money there. And, you know, all of those things have helped us make savings which we then decided we were going to put 50 pounds every fortnight each away just in a separate pot so both of us have monzo accounts and so you can basically create these pots and so we just pop them in little pots and it's done automatically so we don't have to try and having made these little changes we've noticed that it doesn't really change how much money we have available if that makes sense that 50 pounds going out isn't hurting us it isn't like a pinch the little changes we've made, it's really hard to quantify unless you really sit down and do the figures, but they are making a difference. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I think this is something everybody, like you mentioned that we've talked about this before, the £139,000 hospital lunch, it's in the ebook. But this is a really important point. Small amounts of spending really add up. And if you can change your spending habits, whether that's because you're forced to, like I was and you have been by this strike, 
or whether because you just become more aware of it. If you can change those spending habits, you are going to make yourself literally thousands or hundreds of thousands of pounds. So in the ebook, there's the example of somebody who doesn't, you know, saves money by not taking lunch to hospital over a 30 year career that can easily add up to 139,000 pounds. I love batch cooking. And basically, yeah, I do that. Uh, like all it's like all in one, you just put it all in the thing and put it in the oven. And it's literally idiot proof. And I definitely do need idiot proof cooking, <laughs> just being honest. And my family will attest to that. Yeah, of that. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not a junior doctor, I don't need to save this. Well, have a look in the ebook, because if you could just get these good financial habits in early, you're going to change your financial future, whether that's because you're forced to or not. So I love that tip. All right. You already kind of mentioned this as well. And I always get a bit nervous about this because it's something that I did a lot of and it was really hard. I had to do it and I never, well, did I regret doing it? Okay. Locums, man. Cause I like, I would be banging out like 80 hours a week. Okay. And mm. then I'd just go for locum shifts in A&E at the weekend. And that was just to scrape myself out of the unfortunate financial position I found myself yeah. in. So I'm a bit nervous about recommending people to do locum shifts, but it's got to be on the cards, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a similar position about locum shifts. I don't hit them too hard, but I just think, so say my other half's working, you know, nights. So he'll be at home during the day sleeping. So I'll just think, well, whilst he's getting some rest, I'll use my day to basically do some extra, get some extra money for both of us to then be able to enjoy when we are off together, which is actually very rare. We, we hardly see each other because we're both doctors. We're both A&E at the moment, or were, and, and so his shifts and my shifts never match. I think max, so, so our priority became maximizing the time we had for each other, which meant it kind of helped a little bit having those periods where it wasn't so that I yeah basically that's how I looked at it like a productive use for my time to be then be able to enjoy the time we have together which is quite rare in terms of locums I do have colleagues who like really hit the locums and they have their reasons money obviously being the big one and I guess it's just how they feel about their free time I think having started as a doctor I've come to really value free time and choice and my definitely my values have changed in a very short period of time from basically being like, I have to be the best. I have to get through this treadmill as quickly as possible. I have to be a consultant. I have to do all the extracurricular stuff. And now it's all started to slow down and actually just really appreciate the time I have. And when the big thing, and this is probably going in a weird direction, but seeing really poorly patients all day, every day, kind of reminds you that this can happen to any of us and I do not want to look back going oh thank god I did that every single weekend I locumed I want to look back and think I'm so glad I got to spend it with my family I'm so glad I got to spend it with my friends and that kind of changed for me whilst working amazing I was thinking about how to say this but what you're just describing there is exactly the journey that I think lots of people have been on and definitely that I've been on you know what it means unfortunately it means that you're getting old because when you get old, older, let's say older, because you are incredibly young, not like me, but I, you're, you're right. Your perspective on life shifts, you know, you're only here once and you're right. We see people every day whose lives are unfortunately tragically cut short. And if that doesn't make you think about your own life, I think it's, that's a bit strange. So I think you're right. Just like enjoy the journey. You know, I, I was never really that into the 
destination. I was always about enjoying the journey, which is probably why I did like an F3 and an F4, then quit anesthetics training, went to be a GP, took some sabbaticals. So yeah, I think that's just wise words. And unfortunately, when you start thinking like that, it means you're getting old, I'm afraid, Sarah. I'm okay with that. I like a good early bedtime as well (laughs) (laughs) we just dispelled any myths that we are cool now we're not cool but we're pretty honest and i love that okay so yeah locums i've done it i went way too hard you mentioned also prioritizing time for your relationship that is just such a challenge especially if you're both on shifts as well i think the record that i went with my wife was 14 days where i was either locuming all day or i did nights for a week and then i went straight into a week of locums i basically didn't see her for 14 days And that was just like, that's just not good. So yeah, but I understand why you need to do it. All right. I think you kind of alluded to this next bit and it's probably one of my favorite things because I think what you're describing is something called pay yourself first, where you basically said you'd filed away uh, 50 pounds into them. I think you said the Monzo account and then... And that, and it's automatic savings. So you don't miss that money. You learn to live without that money. And eventually you build up the money. You're, if you pay yourself first, you're doing it automatically. And automatically saving is the only type of saving that works for me. Yeah, I think it's really important because the more you kind of, you can forget bits, first of all. Um, I never do. I feel like my brain is programmed on like what my bank account should look like. It's quite embarrassing. So like when we get paid, I, I can manually move everything as needed as needed but I think for a lot of people and I do it manually personally for most of my stuff because based on what we're doing that month I might adjust what I move or whatever but I think for a lot of people so my relatives and friends I recommend doing like standing orders and then you can always move stuff back if you need and the pay yourself first as well deciding what accounts you want to prioritize so we have you know, we have Lysers and ISAs and then we have like just the normal easy access stuff. So we have it in priority and we kind of go, OK, we'll, we'll put this much in our easy access first. So that's our emergency fund because it's the most liquid. It's the easiest we can do. Then we'll put the next bit in the ISAs because, again, you know, you can at least get that out if you need to. And then if we have any leftover, which as lowly F2s, we really don't at this point. And we bought our first house as well uh, the summer. So all of our savings are gone. We did say like, if anything's left over, we will try and put it in our license because it's the one we can access the least easily. But we'd really like to maximize that 25% government bonus that we get. And so we we do it that way as well. I love that. Yeah. And you're right. Like by putting in your LISA, you can't, well, you can get it out, but you pay a penalty. So you're basically like, it's the ultimate commitment test. And I think I just read Atomic Habits by James Clear. Finally, I've taken a while to read it. It's basically just, yes, yeah, good. It's good. But basically it's just sort of like tiny changes is what's needed to change your habits. And it's just getting in that habit. So if you pay yourself first, you automatically send that money by standing order into your savings account. You just end up learning to live at your means or below and you just don't tend to really notice that it's gone so I love pay yourself first okay I want to talk about tax because you're an accountant we have to talk about tax and there is some I think something that really easy for junior doctors to do but also like you know the cost of petrol and getting around is expensive what are you doing there so petrol is a really tough one because both of us work about 15 miles from where we live and we end up spending quite a lot. We have to have separate cars because our shifts never match. 
so we can't even carpool, which is really frustrating. And I think that's a frustration for a lot of healthcare workers that you can't really carpool because everybody's shifts are just so different. And also people's different people's shifts run over. So even if you do have end up having the same shift, it, it never happens. So for us, I'm at the moment on my research block, which is lovely, which means I'm not commuting. So all the money that I would have spent on petrol, I actually have been moving into that little pot because we got used to spending that on our petrol and filling up the cars so I just thought well why change that let's just use it so that has been going in my pot as well so I on average spend about 49 pounds per tank usually about every week and a half so I've been putting 49 pounds every two weeks along with the 50 that automatically goes out James hasn't because he is still commuting so his isn't the same but that's what we're doing with petrol I'm really annoyed because when we lived in Coventry, we had a Costco right around the corner. So my friends calculated that just by having a Costco membership, which is £30, and you can get it as an NHS employee, you can make that money back in less than six months of just getting their petrol because it's so heavily undercut. And their petrol is a loss leader. So, you know, that's how they get you in. So if you can be or try not to be too tempted by all the cool, yummy Costco stuff in the shop, you actually just use it for the petrol. It's such a massive money saver. But we don't have one nearby, which is frustrating. It's If you have a Costco nearby, 100% recommend that. Yeah, not sponsored by Costco, but I wouldn't mind being sponsored by Costco because I love their massive, they do like a, I think it's like a five kilo bag of pasta. It's amazing. It's like yeah. pasta for a year. Well, oh, pasta for a week in my house. And they also do like this giant five kilogram block of cheese, which there's a picture of me cradling one. I'm also lactose intolerant, which makes it even funnier. But I do love like all their giant stuff. It's just fun. I'm on a health kick at the moment, so I'm trying to cut out the carbs so I won't be hitting the cheese or the five kilo bags of pasta. But yeah, I'll fall off the wagon soon and I'll be back mm. in Costco pasta well and the cheese off. A massive thing that the doctors, junior doctors can do to get overpaid tax back still, despite us going on about this for years, still running into doctors that don't know about it and that's totally fine because no one's ever told us about this but you can save a ton of tax by claiming tax relief what do you want to say about that and this is ed's territory man so yeah. be careful i'm going to shamelessly plug your guide which i also followed i didn't know about tax relief before but the way your guide is set out is just so simple so i send it to everybody i, I tend to curate our sort of whatsapp chats and they tend to have links to your stuff and that is fantastic what i did want to say though is so we're up to date with our tax relief and you need to keep a spreadsheet because you can't see what you've already applied for they don't let you see that so you could have been like oh crap did i apply for that bma thing or not and so that i learned the hard way which is once you apply for something, just have a spreadsheet of the stuff you've applied for and then just say, okay, done, it's done. If you can stay on top of that, then at least you know you've kept on top of your tax relief applications. And it's so straightforward, especially if you can, because I, I understand it's a bit harder for people who don't have indefinite leave to remain or citizenship. You can get your government gateway account online to look at your income tax. And so that process of applying for tax relief is just so stupidly easy just do it off my phone so it would be a no-brainer to just do that because you're getting your 
20% back, which is fantastic. Exactly. And that can really add up again. And it's something that you just have to do every year and great idea to keep a track of it as well so that you know exactly what you've claimed. And also reason to keep a track of it is so that you can cross check their calculations when it comes back, because it's not unknown for HMRC to make mistakes as I'm sure you've experienced during your career as an accountant amazing that was so good I really hope that's useful to so many people especially if you're a junior doctor who is almost certainly going on strike as I say we're recording this on the 1st of February so we're slightly trying to predict the future there which is always dangerous but anything else you want to say anything as a quick summary because that was so useful. So I started asking some friends before we did this episode of what kind of stuff are they doing? And so we have a couple of friends who are teachers. And so teachers are also planning on going on strike and they are part of the unions because, yeah, anyway, not getting in the nitty gritty of it, but they are going on strike. And so they were doing the same and they've got a kid. And I asked, what are you guys doing to, to kind of just cope with that pay loss? And so one tip that my friend gave me, which I thought was really good, is she online orders from she specifically does it from Asda but you can do it wherever you prefer and she said that she basically has just her the necessities that they need um and she just reorders them as they need which means they don't waste loads of time wandering around a shop buying extra stuff that they wouldn't normally buy stick to their budget which means that they're not overspending and then you know they don't shop hungry which I am very guilty for and the bag of sweets always ends up in my trolley by accident and so I actually thought that was a really good tip and it, when we talked about it I realized I don't even have that level of self-discipline that I actually quite enjoy going to the shop and wasting that you know it's about half of just wandering around picking bits that I wouldn't have normally bought which you know on top of spending the extra money it's also the extra calories and you know food is for joy I completely agree but there is just because of the way they market things, you kind of buy things that you normally wouldn't buy. And I just thought that's so incredibly self-disciplined. I am not at that level of Zen yet, but that was a really good tip that she shared. So if any of you are that level, then I thought that was really good. I love that tip. And yeah, I actually do online shopping as well because we live out in the sticks. And so to get to and fro the shops, A, takes a lot of time, but also a lot of petrol and my wife is going to be laughing if she listens to this which she probably won't what you said is like that basically the end aisle the end aisle is where the supermarket makes their money because they're like buy one get one free and I'm like amazing buy one get one free I'm gonna do that and then she's like yeah but that bag of you know pasta is already twice as expensive as the one we normally buy so you're not getting anything for free but I'm like but it's buy one get one free and she's like Okay, let me explain this to you simply, Tommy. And I'm like, oh, no, you're right. So the end aisle, if I go in the shops, I just hit every, I'm just like, there's always good stuff on the end aisle. And also I don't, I have experimented with Lidl and Audi, but every time I go to Audi, I get in the middle aisle and I'm like, guess what? Great news. I saved 20 pounds on the food shop at Audi, but I've also built a drill and a torque set. And she's like, you didn't need that. Why did you buy it? And I'm like, I know, I'm just weak. So I think you're right. You've got to play play to your strengths and- yeah, man, the middle aisle or the end aisles, I'm dangerous. So my husband does a hilarious impression of me going past the middle aisle, which is like a slow motion. And uh, that's just me. I have to stare at every single thing. What is this new quirky thing that I can have? Or like, oh, Tupperware boxes, don't get me started. When they're all really pretty. Oh, and anything with sausage dogs on them. Like, mad. <laughs> so yeah, I have definitely lost a few pennies to some new systems. Yeah, I like that. Like get the online thing going. You miss out on the middle aisle and all of that. I'm actually conducting, this is way too geeky. I think 
online shopping, they don't offer you as good special offers. So I'm basically doing an A-B back-to-back test of I do an online shop, but then I go to the shop and I try and buy the same things because I think, I don't have any proof of this, so don't get on me, Tesco's. I think they don't show you as good special offers online as they do in the store. But for me, if I get in the store like you, if I go there hungry with the children in tow, I just cannot resist those buy one, get one freeze. I get in the middle aisle and it just goes really wrong. So yeah, I love that tip. Awesome. Bonus tip at the end. Syra, that was so awesome. Thank you so much. I just think we should do more pods if you've got time. I'd love to do that. And... Yeah, that was so good. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. Take care. Take care. Bye.